different medications. But God is good. You know, when you look in your rear mirror in your car, okay, you, you don't, I'm not talking about looking in the mirror, but the mirror is an obstruction. And that little bitty mirror that's only about seven inches long can hide a 75-foot-long 18-wheeler coming down the road if it happens to be just at the right angle, right? So you can take something that's very, very small, very, very small, and if we're focused on it, we can't see the larger thing coming. And fear is kind of that way. God says, hey, listen, I'm bigger than any of your fears. Okay? That 18-wheeler is bigger than that mirror, but sometimes when we're close to something, the closer we are to something, that's all we see. So the closer you are to your fear, the less of God you're going to see, even though God is much, much bigger. So how do we make God bigger? We get closer to God. It's about perspective. Does that make any sense at all? I could put it up on the screen and show you that give an example of how something like our thumb, we point up at the sky, and they say that just by looking through your thumb, you're covering up literally millions and billions of galaxies. But you know those galaxies are way bigger than your thumb, right? It's about perspective, right? So what are you drawing close to? A healthy fear of God or a fear of whatever your circumstance is? Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that today as we turn in in, into the book of Daniel, chapter 3. The book of Daniel, chapter 3. A healthy fear of God is a good thing, right? Of course, the book of Daniel is well known for end times prophecy related to Revelation and, and this and that, but I'm not going to get into that so much. But I will tell you that when we hear stories in the Bible, and like this one, it's not that it just did happen, but it is still happening. There's still, and there's still things we look at in the world today that are just as real as what we see here in Nebuchadnezzar's situation with the golden statue and how people are worshiping and he's demanding that they worship it and bow down to it and that there are consequences and penalties for that. There is a, King Nebuchadnezzar was an evil, evil guy. He's nuts. Okay? He's, you know the whole story of the statue and the dreams and all that and it is uh, at this point in time that Nebuchadnezzar has a giant golden statue made of himself Okay in honor of himself, and really this goes all the way back to the days of Genesis and Exodus, the Babylonian gods. As a matter of fact, this statue was erected in Babylonia, the Babylonian territory, and he issued a decree and said, everybody must bow down to this statue when you hear the music play. Okay, you must concede to what I'm saying. You must, I'm, I'm imposing this restriction on the people so when he had this statue unveiled, okay, it was likely that there was a fiery pit somewhere in the area to melt the gold to make the statue. So that's where when we get to the fiery pit part, and I go, where where the pit come from? Well, it was already there. Just common sense tells you that. And to the interesting thing to melt gold takes about two thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so your average campfire is going to be between two hundred fifty and three hundred degrees. And that's a that's a pretty hot campfire. So that's 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 a lot of heat, right? So he, he, he makes his gold statue, and I think it was, uh, yeah, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. And King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 90 feet wide and set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So there it is. And this is, this is evil. This is a, a remnant of the Babylonian gods. We still see some of these today. If you go to North Korea, you'll see a giant statue with an arm up in the air honoring the leader of North Korea. If you go to China, you'll see this, the Buddha, the giant golden Buddhas. 
before Saddam Hussein was taken down, there was a giant statue of Saddam Hussein that they eventually took down. So this Babylonian evilness is not just, we're not just reading about it. 2,600 years later, now, okay, it still exists. Because the spirit continues, the life in the spirit, the life in the supernatural is still going on. We do not battle with flesh and blood. We battle with the, the spirit and principalities of what's going on behind the scenes. That, that's always there. It was there then and it's there now. As a matter of fact, if you talk about the fiery furnace, just as we get into this, we're looking at three Hebrew boys, Jews, that wouldn't do what the king asked them to do, so he throws them in the fiery furnace. Well, this is already examples of... Uh, uh, what do we call that when, uh, when we're against Jewish people? What do we call that word? Anti-Semitism. Semitism. Anti, what are we Anti-Semitism. Thank you. I cannot remember that. You already begin to see anti-Semitism here. These three Jewish boys would refuse to bow down. We'll see that in Scripture in a minute. You know the story, so that's why I'm not too concerned about that. The same Babylonian God here that tried to destroy them, and they wouldn't bow down to, is the same Babylonian God we saw in Nazi Germany. <laughs> trying to, well, they didn't like the Jews, so they would just burn them. And it's a subtle reminder, not so subtle, that men are evil. Even you and me, if I said to you right now, if there was one person in your life that you would, could burn, you could throw into your own fiery furnace, who would it be? If you come up with even one name, that's the Babylonian evil that resides in us. Now, people argue, people in general are good. The Bible says, no, not one is good, we're all full of sin. So sin doesn't just come and go. It's, it's always there. Always has been. And, and, and this, this situation we read here in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar may look different, but it still exists today. So let's read it. He says that he made the statue and he set it up on a high plane. And he says in verse 2, then he sent messengers to the high officers, officers, governors, advisors, treasurers. I'm not going to read all that. He sent it to all the wealthy people. He sent it to all the people who are in charge. Listen, there were approximately 300,000 people to attend this event. According to historical documents. 300,000 people came. And some of them were professed to be believers in Jesus. Or believers in God. I guess Jesus wasn't technically born yet, but they were Christians. Some of them, we'll see in a moment, refused to bow. Verse 4 says, Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Chuck Colson, many years ago, if you remember him, he's already gone to be with the Lord. He was a political analyst and got involved with religion. He said there are two kinds of really, the, the difference between Christianity and all other religions is this. Christianity is a proposition and all other religions are imposition. God has proposed to us. He's given us a proposition. He says, I'm giving you my son, Jesus. You can choose to love him, believe him, put your faith and trust in him, but I'm not going to force you to do it. That's Christianity. All other religions are impositions. 
I impose on you a set of decrees, rules, and regulations, and if you don't follow them, I'm going to throw you in the furnace or kill you. Go to the Middle East right now. Walk among the Muslim nations. Many of them down in Africa, South America, some of these other places throughout the world. If you don't believe as they believe, they'll cut your head off. That's imposition. They're imposing their rules upon you. That's a true dictatorship. So every other religion is, if you don't follow us, you die. But God loves us too much. Gives you and I a choice. He gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a choice as well. Let me give this little caveat here. I made some neat notes. This is a fantastic scripture study. Chapter 3 of Daniel. We don't see Daniel. We hear all about Daniel in chapter 1 and 2 and 4 through 12. He's all over the place, but for some reason... If there's a day to call in sick, this was the day to call in. King, I'm sick. I'm not coming to work today. We don't know where Daniel was at. It's focused on his three underlings, his three friends. You see, the lesson here is that the mark of effective leadership is what the followers do when the leader is absent. Or parenthood. What will the kids do when I stop telling them to go to church? When they grow up and they're in high school and make their own decisions and they get a license and they go off to college and they get married and have a kid, will they follow my leadership? Will they go to church? Will they have a relationship with Jesus? Well, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hebrews, Jewish men, did not leave Daniel and his teachings. They believed everything Daniel said, and together the four of them walked in unity. Interesting, too, that music was the crutch that was used to get people to bow. Music can be used for wonderful things. But it also causes emotional reactions if you think about some of the songs that come on the radio when you're driving down the road. They elicit certain responses, and this is no different. The response was when they heard the, heard the music across the, the, the valley, all the nations, all the folks, 300,000 that would bow. They would be moved by the movement. They would be moved by the worship services. These were religious people. Don't think for a minute that people who don't believe in God aren't faithful people. Because they are. Even people who believe in evolution, sometimes people who believe in evolution got more faith in that than I got. It's a religion. You choose to believe or you choose not to believe. So be careful saying that atheists or people who don't go to church aren't faithful people. Oh, they may be more faithful than you. It's just, it's just what's, the, what's the focus of their faith? What's the focus of your faith? That's the question here. What's the focus of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith? Was it the golden statue and the fear from the, from the leader that they might be put to death? Was that their focus? No. But for 298,997 other people, they vowed. Can you imagine in a group of 300,000 people Let's see that stadium today where they're playing in Arizona probably holds 80,000 people. 
Just imagine 80,000 people. Every single person, a giant, this is a giant Billy Graham uh, revival. And not being asked to bow down, but being told you're required to. Again, imposition, you do or else. And all but three men are standing among the 300,000, or in this case, at Arrowheads, I guess it's not Arrowheads, it's going to be in Arizona, 80,000 people. Three or only three are standing. What? Were there others in the crowd, though, that were believers and just succumbed? Yes. Where are you? When the fire gets turned up, when the heat gets put on, will you stand? Or do you just say that you're a Christian? Right? It's where this fiery furnace, we'll see in a minute, gets turned up sevenfold. Because Satan, the Babylonian gods, will turn up the heat. Are you sure you don't want to bow down to me? I'm going to turn up the heat. I'm going to give you another chance. Are you sure? It's going to get hot in here. God doesn't always take us out of the furnace, out of the fire, but he'll walk you through it. I'm going to see in a moment. So he said, at the sound of the music, everybody bows down. So, at the sound of the musical instruments, in verse 7, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. In other words, some people that were in a leadership position said, we're going to rat out these three guys that didn't bow down. So they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they tell him, in verse 12, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. These guys are in leadership positions. You remember earlier, if we were to read Daniels 1 and 2, he says, Your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. Even in the eyes of evil, we see some compassion. You see, leaders thrive on either loving and allowing people to make right decisions or they rule and reign over them and force them to make decisions. Our God loves us so much that he allows us, we're not robots, to make our own decisions for him. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you will follow me, but you know what? I'm going to call you into my kingdom. I'm going to show you a little bit of sympathy, a little bit of compassion, and we, we could learn something from that. Even when you're having a conflict with a situation or a person or whatever it may be, remember to give them a second opportunity. Give, give another opportunity. Even, even in the face of calamity, don't be afraid to call him in and talk to him and say, okay, listen, is this really what, is this is what I heard? We even see this with, with, with the devil. Even the devil has some compassion here. He says, you yeah, just come in here. Are, 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 you, you do know that I'm going to kill you. <laughs> uh, he could have just thrown him in the furnace. But no, he says, you do know. And that's what, that's what a corrupt leader does is let them know I'm in charge. Yeah. See, a really good leader doesn't have to tell you all the time he's in charge or she's in charge. You just know they are. They lead by example. 
Jesus led by example. He didn't come out and say, you've got to follow me. He says, why don't you follow me? Drop what you're doing. And if John and Peter and Paul and all the rest of them said no, he said, okay, find somebody else. You don't have to. Scott, you want to follow me? Mm, okay, never mind. I'm going to find somebody. Judy, you want to follow me? It's okay. He comes to each of us and says, he stands at the door and knocks. He says, do you want to follow me? And that door, by the way, doesn't have a doorknob. You've got to open it. There's no, Jesus ain't going to open the door himself. He's got, you got to open the door. Let him in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had let God into their lives. Verse 15 of Daniel chapter 3, it says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. You should be moved by the sound. You should be moved by the radio. You should be moved by that rock song. You should be moved by it, and you should do what I'm telling you to do. And he says, and if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able, what God will be able to rescue you from my power. You see, good leaders are all about power. Power. He was so warped, Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to make sure that these little boys, who he had ultimate authority over, he could have taken them out just by a whisper. He wanted them to know, I'm in charge. What God do you have that can override me? Let me, let me tell you something. In your Christian walk, and I, and I can speak from experience, and I kind of smile at this, and I feel good about this, because sometimes I get down about it, and I go, I'm doing the right thing. You're probably losing some friends. You probably have lost some contacts over the years because you stand for something and won't fall for everything. You believe in Jesus, and you may not necessarily be out there putting right in their face, but they know. And people just tie the tent. They're not comfortable around Pastor Scott. And all of a sudden, it, you know, okay, well now I, have a, I had a friendship with him, but now my friendship is not quite as close as it was, and then get a little bit further out. And a little bit further, I'm pretty soon you're not having any contact with those people. That guy called me, I hadn't talked to him in three years when I had my heart attack, says, hey, blah, 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 you know, thinking about you, blah, 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 we haven't been hanging out. He's one of them guys, and it's like, I still have friends, but they're, they're just not as close. So listen, for you to be in a relationship with God, you've got to be close to him. And when you're close to God, when you're close to God, sometimes other people tend to fade out. And that's okay, don't get discouraged. That means you're, you're doing the right thing, doesn't mean you don't have friends, I don't mean that, but... If you're losing friends, you're losing contacts. And for me, I have to be very blunt. When I was involved with the Catholic community, when my kids went to Ralph High School, it was all about going to the KC Hall. It was all about going to the football games and the post games and the prom parties and all this stuff. And everybody had the card games and everybody go to their houses. We did all this stuff, running around doing all this stuff. But guess who wasn't getting invited? Me. Oh, I got invited early on. And then they found out when I went, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that, I'd say this, I'd make people uncomfortable, but not necessarily because I was out there preaching, just because of who I am and who God has made me to be, and he selected me to be, right? I'm not anything special, but God view you as a certain way, and all of a sudden, you're one of three, out of a crowd of 300,000, making a statement. That's you. Your walk matters. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to Nebuchadnezzar and said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. 
And I'm sure they, they said it respectfully, but we don't need to defend ourselves. If, if, he says in verse 17, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Notice he's, he's, he's very careful to say, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. They were very respectful to King Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty. But notice this in verse 18, recognizing the sovereignty of God and how he works. This is a tremendous statement. Write it down, underline it. But even if he doesn't, doesn't what? Doesn't rescue us, doesn't save us, doesn't keep us from burning alive, doesn't keep us from being uncomfortable, doesn't make us whole again financially, doesn't do whatever it is that you're struggling with. They said, we want to make it clear to you, again, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. No matter what happens, I will never turn from Jesus. I will never worship you, Satan. No matter what kind of pressures put on me from friends, from peers, from work, from the government, from other terrorist groups, I will always worship Jesus. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. Nebuchadnezzar in verse 19 was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual and then threw them fully clothed into the furnace. 2,000 degrees or more. Singe your eyebrows just being around it. You ever been around a really hot campfire? Just, phew, man, and burn your nose hairs. Phew, you check. Hot. Face turns red. Sometimes in life, things get heated up. You've heard old, the old saying, expression, somebody's not doing what you want them to do, turn the heat up. That's where it comes from. Turn the heat up. They'll listen. When it gets bad enough, when it gets hard enough, when it gets hot enough, when it gets expensive enough, when it gets to be hurt, hurtful enough, they'll change their minds. That's the whole idea behind torture. Turn up the heat and make them talk. Indeed, sometimes in this life, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, it feels like we're being tortured at times with different things. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, hang in there. That is part of Satan's plan, is to turn up the heat. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt who you are as a child of the Most High. We'll wrap things up here. Verse 25, then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, Look! Look! The king himself. Now, this is one of his satraps or one of his advisors. It's king. His king himself says, Look! I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. This is Jesus. We see a foreshadowing of Jesus. You see, when we're walking with Jesus, we can walk through the fire. 
They made it clear that even if Jesus doesn't show up, if God doesn't save us, if God doesn't show up, we're willing to die. <coughs> but he did. Manifestation of Jesus Christ is what we see there in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 3. Walking around in the fire unharmed, a fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door at the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. All of a sudden, his attitude changes. You're servants of the Most High God. I know you called me majesty twice, but you're the servants of the Most High God. Come out! Come here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Impossible in the, in the natural world. That's because it's a supernatural event. God did that. There are many non-biblical documents that speak about King Nebuchadnezzar. This is a real historical figure, a real event that really took place. And while Daniel was not on the scene, Daniel was, we don't even know where Daniel was at, these three men said, we will not bow down. We will stand amongst them. Can you imagine 300,000 people in the field all bowed down and three men standing? The fear that might have been going through their hearts at the time. Folks, don't fear death. Don't fear death of the body. Fear death of the soul. Right? This body, these are just vessels. You take away the suit. You take away the clothes. You take away the fancy shoes, the cars and the houses. and you know, You're just... Laying naked on an island, you're just a body. You're just a body with skin on it, but you're a soul. God says, I knew you before you were born. I knew you. There's much more to this life than what we see in the physical manifestation. God just gave us these skins, these tents, these skeletons that he puts our, our soul in. Sometimes I wish he put my soul in a different looking body, but this is the one I got. God gives us an illustration. He says, when you're walking with me, when you're going to talk to me, when you're hanging out with me, when you'll stand for me, buddy, I don't care how hot that furnace is. I'm going to walk you through it. I may not take you out of it, but I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to see you through it, okay? I didn't have any fun laying in bed getting poked by needles. I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm scared to death of getting my blood taken. I hate that, but there was, a, there was a sense that came over me that was, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I got out and I had this vision that we're going to start this men's ministry at my house. You know, you know all those things, right? Well, no, it was, I got the means. I got the method. I got the motivation. I'm like, I'm talking to my wife about it. I called my friend. And I said, hey. He said, hey, he said, my brother's over here. I said, can I stop by? He says, well, we got this event we're going to tomorrow. Oh, oh what, what is that event? Well, the Bear Man Ministries event that's going on in Cass County, 710 acres were bought. They were having a men's group that night, or the next night. And I said, well, that's why I was calling. Because we need to get the men together. I, I, I told I didn't even know about that. I, I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't remember. I, I wasn't, 
Like, yeah, we don't want to have too many things going at one time. So I went to that ministry thing Friday night. And I'm like, this is great. There's like 150 guys there. And every month we're going to meet and have a dinner. And we're going to have testimonies and give people opportunity to come to Christ. That's exactly what I wanted. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, God, okay, this is cool. This is cool. And then at the same time, the doctor calls and says, oh, by the way, your heart was a lot worse than what we thought. <laughs> no, it's good. My heart's good. How do you feel? I feel great. God's God. I've never had any fear. I thought I'd have all kinds of anxiety, you know, heart attack. I'm going to watch what I'm doing. No, I'm going to watch what I'm doing. I'm going to walk in this, but God's in control. I'm not, a fear. I'm not going to fear death. I'm not going to fear the fiery furnace, nor should you. God's got you, okay? God's got you. He loves you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Lord God, I pray that uh, we take something from this uh, sermon this morning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is about so much more. You literally walked them through the fiery furnace and you are willing to do the same for us if we will stand for you. And Lord, you know what's so great about your love is that even when we're weak and we fall, even when we're weak and we fail, even when we sin and we don't even know we've sinned, you're there to love us and you stand at the door and you say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. All we gotta do is come to you and you'll still bless us because you're merciful and you're mighty and you're... You are a, a God that is defined by love and has defined love, and you are love, and we thank you that you love us so much that you give us your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I truly believe this, Lord God. We believe in your Son, Jesus. We believe in you and all that you've done. Thank you for this beautiful message today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and the congregation says, Amen. Amen.